welcome. Uh, glad you came to Gateway. My, my, uh, my name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're starting a new set of conversations today based on the first couple of chapters of a little a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his good friends and his disciple, a man named Timothy. This comes from the second letter. So we'll, we'll do the first two chapters of the second letter uh, to Timothy. And we're going to begin this morning with chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 of 2 Timothy. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. And I'm going to ask those of you who are at home watching me, you stand as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. How rich is that? To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Father, this morning... We pray that you will speak. Open our hearts, some of us, Lord, to uh, <clears throat> a new insight, a new freshness. And for others, Lord, quicken us to do the work of fanning the flame of our faith, of our gift. Fan the, the, the fire underneath us. We believe you're with us this morning, and we believe you'll speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's begin our noodling today with a great quote from the old Christian saint, uh, St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. Without God, I can't. Jesus said it more lyrically than that. In John 15, Jesus said, Remain in me, I will remain in you. No fruit, no, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Without God, I can't. If I'm disconnected to the vine, I'm not going to produce fruit. Stuff will happen in my life, but I'm not going to produce lasting fruit. He was landscaping around that same theme in John chapter 6 when he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We don't come to him unless we are drawn to him because without God, I can't. This idea is foundational to Paul's thinking, really. And, and this is what he was building on when he said in another place that we were chosen long before we chose him. We were chosen, and then we chose him. And we see the same idea here in this passage, almost as an aside. At the very beginning, Paul says, introduction, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. 
Paul sees everything in that context because without God, I can't. And at least part of what this means is, listen to this, our effort in the spiritual life is not determinative. That's a fancy way of saying we don't determine the outcomes. We're not in charge. Our effort doesn't cause our spiritual life. We don't make it happen. God does. This is a foreign concept to us American suburbanites, at least foreign to the way we live. We know it's true deep down inside. We just don't live like it. We live like it's all under our control. But without God, I can't. However, without me, God won't. While our effort is not determinative, it is participatory, and our participation is required. Paul gets at this whole tension perfectly in another place, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And this is a crazy verse. If you look at the end of this, these couple of verses, he makes it clear that God is at work both to will and to do according to his purposes. But he also tells us that we must work out our salvation and with fear and trembling. I mean, really dig into it. Because without me, God won't. He's a gentleman. He will not impose himself on us. And Paul gives Timothy a clear reminder of that. And this is the central thrust of this opening paragraph in his letter to Timothy. It's the part that, that uh, Jordan read for us earlier. We read just now in verse 6. Fan into flame the gift of God, Timothy. Keep God's work within you alive and burning bright. Paul's language here brings to mind a pile of uh, embers that are kind of growing low, doesn't it? Uh, he, he's done that intentionally. We have a fire pit. We have one of those you know, basic Home Depot fire pits in our backyard. And Diane, my wife, loves a fire. 80 degrees out, she wants me to go outside and, and make a fire so we can sit around it. I would have to sit in the neighbor's yard if I was to make a fire. Some of the times that Diane wants us to make a fire. I think we have people over at our house sometimes just so she can make me build a fire in the backyard. But one of the things that happens anytime you're building a fire like that, there, come, there comes a moment or sometimes moments in the uh, fire burning process when when things begin to burn pretty low there's still wood in it but the fire begins to burn pretty low and you have to grab a, a a newspaper or a magazine or something and give it oxygen you have to give the the fire air so that it will breathe again so that the embers uh, the embers will will burst into flame again timothy keep the fire of your faith going Keep the gifts, the work that God has done in you aflame and, and keep it hot. Keep it burning hot. Now we're going to dig into that idea in a few minutes this morning. But before we do, let's just walk through this passage to set up uh, this charge from Paul to us. Paul opens with the salutation in verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. I love that. That, that had become standard Christian greeting by the time Paul wrote this uh, note to, to Timothy, and I, I <laughs> that's awesome to me. I want to be part of the team that greets one another with grace, mercy, and peace, because we all need that. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, he continues. And this is interesting to me because of how he uh, raises, he elevates Jesus's status to that equal to the Father. 
for all of those folks who don't believe that the Bible teaches the deity of Christ, I, I want them to answer why in the world Paul and the other authors of the New Testament, Testament aren't much more careful with their language. Because it clearly seems here like he's, he's raised, elevated Jesus' status to equal that of the Father. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. It's night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I, I want to ruminate just for a second on Paul's service. So when you think about how he talks about his service here. First of all, the nature of Paul's service, first of all, it was God that Paul served. All right, I know this is the Bible. I know it's the Apostle Paul. You, you came to church. You're expecting that. But just think for a second of the other things that Paul could have served. He could have served his career. He could have served family. He could have served country, uh, cause, whatever. But all of, and there were other things to which Paul gave his time and energy. There were other acts of service in Paul's life, but all of those acts of service were, in his mind, underneath the idea that he was serving God. I suspect had Paul been a, a suburban northern Virginian, he might have been, let's say he's an, uh, uh, an engineer or uh, a networking guy, I suspect Paul would have thought of, of that, you know, his daily hours, as just a way to serve God. Because Paul's service was to God. Second thing he says is, he served as his forefathers did. You know, that means his service was consistent with the faith of Moses and, and David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In, in other words, this is why we study the Old Testament. Same God, same faith, same service. And the Apostle Paul is intentionally connecting himself to that. And th this rooting of his service with his ancestors by Paul, it might have been an attempt by him to distinguish himself from false teachers. There, there were false teachers in the church in Ephesus where Timothy was, to, to whom he was writing. And speaking of those false teachers, I don't think this is on the screen, but Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to this. They want to be teachers of the law. They don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Paul is clearly rooting himself in, in, much, uh, in, in God's longer traditional working among his people. And his service and his teaching are rooted in those long-standing traditions of the faith. As one of my seminary professors used to say, if it's brand new, it's wrong. Um, third, Thing he clearly says about his service, he served with a clear conscience. So Paul felt comfortable that he was doing what God had asked him to do. He was clear of regrets and guilt. I think, think about how freeing that would be. Are you serving with a clear conscience this morning? The next thing that jumps out at us is the striking level of intimacy that this letter reflects. Again, I'm, I'm working up to the charge, but Paul has loaded the front end of this note with just some juicy stuff. He says, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Okay, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. 
And this would certainly highlight your feelings of longing for the company of your friends without question. But come on, this language reflects a level of friendship that we don't often experience. And by the way, this is what's possible for those of us who are in Christ. I'm going to say that again. This is what's possible for those of us who are in Christ. Uh, Jordan and I were talking this week about the uh, chronic loneliness in our culture. I, I, th I think he had read an article recently or heard a podcast that, that said there was a survey done. 30% of Americans, and this is, this is uh, all ages. I'm, I'm talking even uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers who are surrounded by uh, students their age every day. 30% of Americans say they don't have any friends. And I, I don't know if it, it's ironic or certainly tragic. We have more leisure time, more discretionary time than any culture in history. And yet, we seem to be lonelier. So instead of taking that time to create more connections, in effect, our, our discretionary time has exacerbated our loneliness. Well, here's the answer. What, what Paul and Timothy did is the answer, truly. Let me just throw a couple of phrases at you. I'm going to pile some stuff on top of one another. One of those uh, communicationary things all mean the same thing. Uh, the real answer is authentic Christian community. That's what Paul and Timothy had. The, the real answer, the thing that our soul is longing for, is to be involved in a discipleship network, a network of relationships where I'm pouring Jesus into others and others are pouring Jesus into me. The, the, the real answer is sharing my faith with others and having others share their faith with me. You get it? I'm just restating the same thing. That kind of community, that kind of relationship network, that kind of sharing, it gives purpose to our lives, and not just any purpose. It gives the purpose to our lives for which we were designed. That kind of community, that kind of relationship network eliminates the soul ache of persistent loneliness. Let me give you a couple of scenarios. Let's say, um, I mean this for real, because this is where we live. Let's say you've got, a, you've got an hour to kill. Uh, scenario number one, you decide to call a friend. Hey, how you doing? How's your week been? You know, uh, can I jump in here for a second? I'm just wondering, have you, have you sensed God's presence lately? Have, have you just felt him stir in any way? No? Well, me either. Why do you think that is? What, you know, what's up with us? Or, yes? What? Tell me about it. Scenario number one. Scenario number two. You take a one-hour YouTube rabbit hole trip chasing videos of your favorite political theory or movie trailers or whatever floats your boat. Now, which of these scenarios will be more soul-satisfying? Which of these scenarios is more likely to breed loneliness? This brings us to verse 5. Verse 5 
says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. The word sincere here in verse 5, listen to this, is anupokrites. Anupokrites. Hypocrites. It is the root of our word hypocrite. And it's combined with the prefix anu, which means not or against or without. In other words, this is faith without hypocrisy. Timothy had sincere or anti-hypocritical faith. This makes me think of, you know, a bunch of us are in this category. This makes me think of um, people who, you know, uh, people who grew up like in church or in a, in, in a strong faith environment. And then imagine that you left church for a while during your college years or in your early marriage or, you know, throughout your 30s and 40s, whatever. You left church for a while if and when that kind of person decided to come back to church. They have, a, they have, kind of, they have an advantage of a knowledge base, don't they? I have conversations regularly with people who are, are like this, and they know the drill. You know, you know church speak. You know how church works. You're not, uh, you're not overwhelmed and, and stunned and surprised by everything. You have a certain knowledge base if and when you come back. I may be talking to some people this morning who are in that category <laughs> But for those people who have no church background, they didn't grow up going to church at all, and and I will somewhat regularly have conversations with these folks as well. They don't have that knowledge base, so when they come back, I mean, when they come to church, they're they're pretty clueless. You know, I'll get comments like, well, that was interesting, or that was kind of cool. What do you mean? I don't know. I like the talk, and and the songs are pretty good, and they, they don't... They don't know the language at all. Don't miss this. Paul is not concerned with that either way. He doesn't care about that knowledge base because that doesn't guarantee sincerity. Paul doesn't commend Timothy for his knowledge but for his anupokrites faith. You know, this verse is uh, really special to me personally the first funeral that I ever spoke at, I, I, was, I was still in seminary. I, I had not started pastoring a church yet, but uh, the first funeral I ever spoke at was my own grandmother. And uh, my, my, <laughs> my grandmother, my oldest sister, uh, some of you will know this old phrase, my oldest sister describes my grandmother as a bat out of hell. <laughs> she, she just kind of, energy and just overwhelming. My grandmother was a little bit intense. But that intensity and that energy was all directed, really, toward the cause of Christ. And this woman had prayer books and and names of missionaries that she supported and prayed for. And she and my grandfather helped build a church in their little hometown. And she was really awesome. And uh, my mother was a woman of deep faith as well. And uh, for my grandmother's funeral, they, they brought in uh, the guy who was, he was an old guy himself, could barely make it through the funeral, about like me now. 
But he, uh, he, he had been um, her minister through, you know, the middle and early later part of her life, retired, moved to somewhere else. They brought him back for the funeral. He was happy to do it um, for Miss Moore. So he came back. He's, he's managing the funeral, and, and, and the family, my aunts and uncles and my mom, wanted me to make some comments. So uh, the pastor introduces me to get up and make comments at the funeral, and he read this verse. He talked about my grandmother and my mother, and I see the same. I knew Pocrates' faith in you. And, of course, those of you who've been around Gateway for a while, you know how sentimental I can be. I, I couldn't speak when I got up to speak. It didn't, I didn't even need to start saying anything. I was overwhelmed. Uh, think of the spiritual influences in your life. If, if there are no spiritual influences in your life, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for you and I right now to just thank God for how he rescued us brought us out and made us one of those spiritual influences that others later down the line will look back to. But for some of you, uh, you had spiritual influences, an, an old woman down the street or an aunt or a grandmother and a mother. And if you have rich spiritual influences, first of all, praise the Lord. Secondly, think of the tenderness that those influences call to your mind. Well, that tenderness is what Paul is tapping into to inspire Timothy and us to verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For this reason, he begins, for what reason? Well, because of your sincere, your authentic faith. In other words, God has done something in you, Timothy. Keep that something fresh and aflame. Paul said the same thing in another way to his friends in Rome. I don't have this on the screen, but I want you to hear this. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, the, the background for this letter, for Second Tim, that we call Second Timothy, was that Paul had left Timothy in charge of the discipleship group that he had started in the city of Ephesus. Timothy was one of Paul's disciples, as I said, and in this letter, Paul is thinking about Timothy's ministry and his leadership of that group at the uh, church in Ephesus. Timothy was a young man. And the challenges at the Ephesus church were pretty stiff. First of all, as we indicated early, there was heresy inside, within the church. There was also cultural pressure from the outside, from without the church, both from the general environment of the city of Ephesus and specifically from the uh, significant Jewish community in the city there. And so what exhortation does Paul give? What encouragement does Paul give to, to to his young friend. Well, well, he begins with, keep the gift God has given you inflamed, Timothy. That's the starting point in Paul's mind. Now, the gift to which Paul refers here may be something related to teaching and what we call administration or organization. At least that's the sense you get 
when you read both of these letters that Timothy has been gifted in, in the area of teaching and in the area of administration and organization. And it's striking to me. You know, often people, people feel like they have to have a certain kind of temperament or a certain skill set in order to really be used by God. I think Timothy was very different dispositionally and in terms of his gifts than Paul. But Paul doesn't charge Timothy to operate like me, Timothy, or I will operate in a certain way or with a certain manner or, or use a specific kind of approach. No. The gift that's in you, Timothy, fan that gift into flame. Not someone else's approach or manner or gifting. He's using you. Paul addressed the same issue in his first letter to Timothy. In, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, listen to this. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, the Bible talks about gifts, the way it's used here, in at least three other places. And many of you have been around church. You've heard this language before. The picture we get from these discussions about gifts is that, listen, God moves in us, or, or God stirs us, or, or, or sometimes he uses language like God graces us, or fills us, or even baptizes us by his Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit literally operates on us, moves in us. He, he strengthens us in certain cases. He expands in other cases, and, and he adds in some cases capacities or skills that were not there. What I mean is, through the operation of the Holy Spirit, some of our natural talents are literally enhanced and given spiritual scope, if you will. They're empowered, they're enlarged. Plus, it's also true that we are sometimes graced with other capacities that we didn't have before the Spirit's operation in us. Things like powerful teaching ability or powerful insight, just weird ability to know what's going on with someone in their life or, or even the ability to, to pray and literally see people healed physically or emotionally. You know, I had coffee sometime recently with a, a, a man in our church who is a very, very good businessman. And he was telling me about this um, whole line of, of, of vast, expanding, international line of business, a new technology that his company has stepped into. And he just saw it and, and knew that it was the right way to go and convinced his CEO and others in the corporation, we need to go this direction. And they were a little hesitant, okay, so they went in this direction, it did not go well. <laughs> Trust me, lean in, let's invest more, this is gonna be big, and it is. It's, it's taking off now. And I listened to this story and thought, how did, how did you know? What? How? How did, you just, how did you just know that? I don't think that's because this person is smart. They're not that smart. I think God enlarges our capacities when he moves in our lives. Uh, have you ever been with someone 
Two or three weeks ago, I had someone come to see me in my office. They just wanted to tell me, oh, this is, it's, I love these conversations. This is what God's been doing in my life. Wow, how did that start? With one of you. I won't say who. One of you. I was having a conversation with them. Okay, what? Tell me. Well, they just, they asked me a question. <laughs> what question? The question blew my mind. It was awesome. It was perfect. And it opened up a whole uh, a, a vista of exploration. How did they know? How, how did they know to ask that question? I don't think it's because they're smart. I asked, uh, I texted Javen Bell yesterday and asked his permission. Javen and Susan have been in our church for a long time. Javen and uh, Jan Zacharias are, are uh, leading a Connect Four class this morning, our, our Connect class. And if you're not connected to Gateway, sign up for that this fall and you hear more about how we operate. Anyway, years ago, Javen and Susan were fairly new in the church and were having a bunch of kids at the time. And uh, I, I think it was Caspian who, if you saw Caspian now, you, it would be hard to imagine him as a baby, but at one point he was a baby. And uh, when, when Susan gave birth to Caspian, gave birth, struggled through Saturday night, gave birth on un, early Sunday morning, and uh, Jabin had set up for Gateway on Sunday morning, and he came to church and set up chairs for Sunday morning service after his son was born, set up chairs, and then went back to the hospital. And I can tell you honestly, Jabin and Susan have influenced my life because of their faithfulness. That, I could tell you a lot of stories about faithfulness from this one family. Do you think that's because they're good people? I know them. They're not that good. This is, this is God's work in their lives. Taking, taking, you know, what is probably dispositionally there and expanding it and enlarging it so that it impacts all of us. It's important to remember that Timothy didn't make up his gift. He didn't work for it. He didn't go find it. He didn't read a book about someone else's effective management style or, or leadership or parenting and then employ their gift. The charge here is fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. It's a gift. God deposited something in our lives and our character. And don't, don't, don't anybody say to me, God hasn't done anything in me. That's, that is not humility. That's discounting the work of God. He has. So we have something in us that needs to be expressed. A gifting from God that needs airtime. Maybe, maybe you're great with people. You're, you're warm, you're inviting. People are just at ease with you. It doesn't matter who it is. It's annoying. You're just so good with everybody. Or maybe you're, you're direct and honest. And, and the, the environment just becomes more open and honest when you're in it because truth gets spoken. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're just so warm and deeply compassionate, you're like an emotional pillow. And, and people can just find comfort and security just by being around you. Maybe whenever you pray, stuff happens and it's awesome. Well, issue number one for you is fan that gift into flame. Keep it hot. 
Keep your passion alive. Let, don't let your zeal ever be lacking. Work it out with fear and trembling. That's issue number one. We have to notice that the gift was deposited in Timothy, the gift which was deposited in Timothy, it was deposited through the laying on of hands by Paul and others. Okay, look, there's nothing magical about uh, laying hands on one another or having uh, those who are further along in the faith than you lay hands on you. Nothing magical. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't be empowered or gifted by God's Spirit and we're alone in our rooms and, and we just ask of God. But he, he does highlight the communal nature of our faith, doesn't he? It's us with one another. It's us laying hands on one another. And this is not the only place where Paul underscores the importance of this kind of activity. It's a part of God's instruction to us. We can't avoid it. To have those who are further along than us lay hands on us and release God's activity into us and, and his activity through us. That's just part of how it works. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Don't neglect the use of your gift, Timothy, which, was, which, is, which is in you because the elders laid their hands on you and there was a prophetic message over your life that said, Timothy, this is going to be who you are. We're actually going to do that this morning in a few minutes. So get ready. Finally, Paul follows this charge with an interesting idea, doesn't he? Look, if you struggle with being timid in your faith, if you struggle with being timid about airing your faith, evidently you're in good company. It seems like Timothy may have struggled with that as well. Listen to how Paul follows this up in verse 7. For the Spirit gave us the, the spirit God gave us d doesn't make us timid or, or cause us to fear, some translations, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, the reference to the spirit here is not to the Holy Spirit, but this refers to the spirit in us, which the Holy Spirit authored. And he does not author fear or timidity. So don't miss this. Whenever we approach any given situation with cowardice, we're not approaching it with the gifts God has given. We're not being led by our best selves, by the spirit that God has planted in us and placed in us and is nurturing in us. We're moving in our own power, in other words. Whenever we face a person or an obstacle or a situation with fear or timidity, we're acting in our own strength. Pause for a second and consider that. Whenever you're feeling like shrinking back, we all do at times. You're acting in your own strength. It's not, it's not circumstantial. It's not because you're facing such an awesome obstacle. It's because you're acting in your own strength. Because God has given you a spirit that can meet that. And the remedy is not to try to be more bold. To try to be assertive. The remedy is to fan into flame the gift that God has given us. What is the work that God has done and is doing in your life? Come on, it's there. What is the work? I don't care how old or young you are. What is the work that God is doing in your life? He's been stirring and working in you your whole life. And at some point, that work burst into flame. Maybe when you were in high school, 
like it did with Lori. Or maybe when you were in college or, or during your early 30s when, when you thought about bringing your kids back to church. Or maybe in your 60s or your 40s. God has been at work for a long time, but it didn't really burst into flames until later in your life for you. When it happened, how it happened, doesn't matter. What matters is the recognition of the unupocrites of your faith and your desire and determination and effort at keeping it aflame. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, if they would. So I said we were going to have lab work this morning, and we are. I'm going to invite um, uh, Robin Evie and Dean and Althea. I'm going to ask you guys to uh, go out pretty wide so that you're not on camera, just to maybe just beyond the microphones. And I want to invite any of you... Uh, I don't care if it's one of you, you pick whichever, come in a little bit so that you're not right next to the speaker. Um, you decide whichever way you want to go, if there are any of you. Uh, and, and it doesn't hurt our feelings if they're not, we're just making ourselves available. Uh, Dean and Rob are, are our elders here at Gateway. And remember, the gift of God was implanted in Timothy's life through the laying on of hands of the elders. So if you want to see God stir and it has never happened for you, then I'm going to invite you to come down and one or the other and have this couple pray over you this morning. They're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Or uh, if you have had this experience before and you need some empowering for some new challenge that you're facing or something that's happening in your life, I want you to come and have them pray over you this morning. Or if you've never stepped into faith, if you've never said like a hearty yes, listen, wait, wait. If you've never said, I'm in, and I'm starting to get it, and there's a stirring in your soul this morning, you know what I mean. If there's a stirring in your soul this morning, I want you to come and uh, have them pray over you. Again, this is an offer. Uh, we don't care if, if there's no one here. Also, if everyone here, doesn't matter. Uh, we're offering for God's spirit to stir. I'm gonna say something difficult um, apologies in advance, forewarned is forearmed. If you're watching this at home now or later, this is one of the reasons why we gather. We can't pray over you. So I would encourage you to do some of this work on your own in your den or living room. If your heart has been stirred this morning, don't look, don't hesitate because God didn't give us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and self-discipline. So if you want to be prayed over, then come and pray over them, and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be released. So let me pray, and um, then uh, Jordan and the team's going to lead us in a song, and we'll sing it. And any of you who, who feel stirred, come up and be prayed over. Lord Jesus, we know you're here, so come in power. Spirit, fall on this place. I pray that you would stir us. We pray that um, gifts 
would be released to your people today. Thank you.